All right. Hey, y'all, good morning. And Jamie, I love that song. Good job. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, this is the, uh, it's the first Sunday in December, uh, and I hope the season has already been a blessing to you. Um, if you're like us, like my family, we've already got the tree up. Uh, Christmas music is playing in the kitchen, in the cars, and uh, like our kids, we're doing everything we can to kind of warm up to the Christmas season. Uh, and if you're not like me, well, uh, bah humbug. Uh, no, that, that's okay too, that's okay too, but I, I do hope that you mentally prepared for a Christmas sermon this morning. Uh, to be fair, we're not going to be in Luke chapter 2. Um, we're going to be in Isaiah 63. If you've got your copy of God's Word, you can turn there. Um, where Isaiah is looking at this situation in Judah and in Israel, and it's so bad that he prays to God for mercy. So we're going to look at his prayer, and we're going to see if God has decided to answer his prayer. Um, so if you've got a Bible, open up to Isaiah 63, verse 15, and I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, would you help us this morning? Would you help me as um, we, I, I preach from your word? We have come this morning as a church to meet you in the scriptures. Would you meet with us this morning? Would you teach us from your word in Christ's name? Amen. Amen. All right, this is the word of the Lord from Isaiah 63, verse 15. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and compassion are held back from me. For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We've become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we didn't look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we've been a long time. Shall we be saved? We have all become like the one who is unclean and our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. 
There's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is the word of the Lord. And I can see the look on some of your faces. I thought this was a Christmas sermon. Well, uh, if you'll indulge me for just a few moments this morning, I can promise you this is a Christmas sermon. And I wonder this morning, when was the last time you looked around and you asked yourself, where is God in this? Maybe you just looked at your world kind of falling apart around you and you asked yourself, is the Lord just going to let this happen? Well, that's the question that Isaiah is asking in his prayer. See, Isaiah is living in this time of a split kingdom, right? So uh, after Solomon, uh, Israel and Judah have split uh, and, and Isaiah is this prophet. He's doing prophet things. He's living in Judah, but he's witnessing the threat of the Assyrian Empire against the northern tribes of Israel, all while Israel is looking more and more like the pagan countries around them, is rebelling against the Lord. And as hard as this may be to wrap our minds around this morning, what we just read is his response to something that hasn't even happened yet, right? Like, I, I want you to picture like a sapling. Uh, it, it doesn't take an arborist to know um, that if you see a sapling and you just let it be, it's going to become a tree, right? Well, Isaiah is seeing the tree of Israel's rebellion far past its sapling stage. And as a prophet, he's able to foresee not only the increasing severity of their sin and rebellion as things mature and grow, but he's able to see the coming fruit from that tree, which is the ensuing tragedy of military invasion and exile at the hands of the Assyrians. Isaiah can see it and he mourns it. And this is him praying for mercy for his people. And he has really good reason to be concerned, okay? So besides the whole being a prophet, besides being able to see what's, what's coming, right? Um, just hear what he says in the first couple chapters of the book of Isaiah. Um, chapter one, verses two and three. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared up, reared and brought up, but they rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey knows its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And later in chapter two, Isaiah is speaking of the land being filled with silver and gold, horses and chariots, while the, uh, the widows and the orphans 
sit in the streets. And on top of that, their land is filled with idols and fortune tellers. So at the same time that they're rejecting the love of neighbor, they are rejecting the love of God. Is it surprising that those two things go hand in hand? I don't think it is, and I don't think it's surprising that Isaiah mourns what he sees. He mourns uh, that he sees the coming exile of his people. And uh, this, in our text this morning, is his prayer for the Lord to be merciful. And I think what we need to do this morning is take a look at this mess that they're in. Just describe, or just look at how he describes it in verse 18 of chapter 63. He says, your holy people have held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We've become like those over whom you have never ruled. It's like you never even ruled over us. That's how bad things are right now. This temple, this beautiful house built by Solomon, burned to the ground. Now, these things haven't happened yet when he's writing, but he's looking into the future and responding to it. And just imagine to try to get yourself into Isaiah's headspace. Like, imagine your country lost. Clarksville, this town that we love, burned to the ground, your church in a, in a pile of rubble and ash. That might help us to get a little bit into his headspace as he's writing these things. But that's just the obvious part of the mess, right? That's just the part that we can see. Or, or maybe the part that we can't, like, unsee. But what about this part of the mess that is often so difficult for us humans to acknowledge? What about the sinfulness of God's people that precipitate this mess? Uh, he addresses that too in verses six and seven. We've all become like the one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind Take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you for you've hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. That's bad. Now I know that most of you are probably familiar with that line in verse six, right? Uh, many, many of you probably heard the rendering, our righteousness is like filthy rags from the King James in, in the NIV. Um, and I probably don't need to mention what Isaiah is referencing here. It's, it's menstrual rags. I'm sorry, I mentioned it. Um, that's like the filthy rags, right? Well, it was interesting to me uh, to read Calvin on this. He basically puts forward that Isaiah isn't making a statement about, um, you know, homardiology, soteriology, every person's best is like this. He's saying that they've gotten so bad They've gotten so bad with their unrepentant sin because of their open rebellion against the Lord that the level of their best righteousness only rises to the level of filthy rags. That's bad. It's a statement of like the caliber, the severity of their rebellion against the Lord. The bad they do is so bad, the good they do looks and smells like that. 
And the result is that their nation is collectively like fading as a leaf and it's going to just be blown away by the wind of their iniquity. The, the reality of this mess is that the internal abounding sinfulness of God's people is going to bring about the external fruits of God's judgment and a massive level of suffering. Suffering. And I wonder if this morning, as you're hearing this, you've ever been there on a personal level. Right? Like when you've, when you've been, if you've ever found yourself like in the middle of that like level of suffering. Maybe, maybe your suffering, maybe the suffering of a loved one. And you could point your finger to like one sin or a collection of sinful behaviors that led you there. Now, now what I'm not saying is that every instance of suffering is caused by particular sins. That would be foolish. But I am saying that when people walk through seasons of hiding their sin or being an open, unrepentant sin... Uh, without regard for who they might hurt or without regard for the Lord in heaven, man, we can get in some trouble, can't we? Um, perhaps you've caused some real damage in your life. Perhaps you've been uh, on the receiving end of that kind of damage. And so w- when I read a text like this, I think, man, sometimes the, the best, most helpful, most godly thing that I can do in this moment is to stop, to look inside at the own depths of sin that I have and repent. That, that, might, that might sound harsh, but hear me out. Repentance, right? It, it, it's like brushing your teeth. You really want to do it at least like once a week. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like this big scary thing but listen to how Martin Luther puts it in his 95 Theses. He says, when, when, the, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent in Matthew 4, he's, he willed that the entire life of believers was to be one of repentance. Daily, moment by moment. And, and you might think, as I have in my life, like the more I mature in my faith, the closer that I get to the Lord, the less that I will need to repent. Um, but man, it's not that way for me. I don't know about you guys, but I, I feel like I just am more aware of my sinfulness. And thanks be to God, because he gives us the grace of repentance. So if there's one thing we really gotta credit Isaiah for, it's his ability to see past like these external circumstances in Israel and see right to the heart of the issue, which is their sin. Um, but, but, but stay with me because he doesn't just do that when looking at the mess. Uh, he also looks past these external circumstances and gets right to the heart of the issue when he's looking for a reason to hope. Uh, I, I don't know if you're like this, uh, but I, I sometimes catch myself being kind of a silver linings guy, um, right? Like silver linings, like we're, we're looking for the good in whatever bad situation that we're in. Um, there's, there's lots of service members in the room. Um, 
you probably know some of them, and most of them can probably be silver linings people. Um, we kind of have to be sometimes. Like when it's really cold and you're outside, and then it starts to rain, and you just think, man, I'm just thankful that I ate, right? Um, but sometimes being a silver linings guy is super unhelpful, right? Like you can think of, you can think of like some, some circumstances, some examples where that might be unhelpful. Like if your wife calls you, she's like, hey, I got a flat tire. I don't know what to do. Like, okay, well, you just got groceries, right? So you can eat there, right? <laughs> You're okay. Like not, not super helpful. Well, just the same, we can bank on the fact that when the prophet Isaiah was ringing the alarm bells as a prophet in Judah about the the impending military invasion of Israel from the Assyrians and then the eventual uh, invasion of all of that by the Babylonians, uh, there were tons of folks who went full send on the silver linings thing, right? Like, yeah, okay, hear me out. Sure, not so many people are following this Yahweh guy anymore, but the economy is booming. Asherah pole sales are through the roof. The livestock market's never been stronger, right? Silver linings. Is that where Isaiah goes when he's looking for a place to hope? Man, it isn't, and I'm thankful. Um, He knew that the circumstances weren't the heart of the mess, and he knew that the circumstances were not where he was going to find his hope. So where could he place his hope? Isaiah placed his hope in the Lord, which is why at the start of our text, he addressed his prayer for mercy to him and him alone. Look down from the heavens and see. You are our father. Even if the the patriarchs were to disown us, you would not because you are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. Yeah, when, when Isaiah could see his world falling apart around him, he placed his hope in the Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the very mountains would quake at your coming that the nations wouldn't be influencing us, but that they would know your name and they would fear you and they would worship you. You've done unspeakable things in the past when we weren't even looking for it. And there's no one like you in all the earth. But man, we've been in our sins for so long. Will you save us? Yes, church, when your life is falling apart around you, when your marriage is on the rocks, when your finances crash, when you lose your job, if if even you lose a child, there is one sure and certain place where you may find hope. It's God himself. And like Isaiah, we can look back at God's track record, his character, his nature, And we can place our hope in him when all earthly hopes fail us. Oftentimes, that's like so much easier said than done, though. Am I right? I've walked through horrendous tragedies with friends. I've been walked through my own horrendous tragedies with people that love me. 
Uh, and perhaps no text of scripture is more comforting and more instructive to those who are suffering than Isaiah, I'm sorry, than Psalm 23. It says very plainly that the Lord is with us as a shepherd. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because he's with us. And as I've walked through that valley, and as I have found myself in my life, moment by moment in that valley, oscillating between hope and back to doubt, between comfort and back to pain, between feeling finally free of it all and right back in the throes of the darkness, I have found that the hardest part of the whole thing was obeying that good and right call of Scripture to place my trust in the Lord. To trust his love for me. To trust his providential care for me as a father. And and what I can say with certainty is that it matters a whole lot less what your level of comfort is when you're going through something. And it matters a whole lot more what your source for comfort is It matters a whole lot less what your level of comfort is and a whole lot more what your source for comfort is. And and isn't that what Isaiah is doing right here in our text? He addresses his pleas to the only one who is truly able to help Israel in their time of need. He calls him Father. He appeals to him not to hold their sins against them. And he places all his trust in the Lord. Uh, There's a guy named Mark Rogop uh, who wrote a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. This quote's in your bulletin. Um, This is what he wrote. He said, Christians don't leave behind trusting God after coming to faith. On the contrary, being a follower of Jesus requires that we walk through life in continual trust. And seasons of suffering are no different. They are just harder and more intense. The stakes are higher and the emotions more raw, but trusting is still how we live. So so often when we're walking through that valley of the shadow of death, we wonder if God really cares. We wonder if he really sees us. And, and that is why when Isaiah saw or foresaw the exile of his country and the burning of his temple, in his lament, he asked God in verse 12 of chapter 64. He says, will you restrain yourself at these things? Are you just gonna let this happen? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? question we so often ask ourselves. We may word it differently. Is God just going to let this happen? Where is he in this? Many of you this morning are asking an additional question. I I, I really thought this was a Christmas sermon. This morning, we've looked at like the mess that God's people were in and and where Isaiah placed his hope in the Lord. And we've looked at the question that he ends his prayer on. But if you'll permit me for just a moment, 
can we talk about the kind, loving, and gracious answer that God has given to Isaiah to his prayer? His answer was himself. God's answer was himself. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. And Isaiah foresaw this as well in chapter nine, verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Or, or I think of Hebrews chapter one. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So when Isaiah, in other words, prayed for the mercy of the Lord to save his people from their sins, just consider for a moment how God just absolutely nailed the answer to that prayer. He crushed it. All-time goaded prayer answerer. He sent Christ. Church, Jesus is the answer to Isaiah's prayer for mercy. Christ is the answer for Isaiah's prayer to save them from their sins. And he is the answer to his question, God, will you keep silent? In, in fact, in Jesus, it's as if God is shouting from the heavens, no, I will not keep silent. I will not restrain myself at the thought of my people dying in their sins. I will not keep silent. In fact, I will come to earth. I will take on flesh. I will preach the good news of the gospel. I will die on the cross for your sins. I will be buried. I will be raised from the dead to proclaim it. I will send the Spirit to seal it, I will not be silent. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you've been in a season like this that I've been talking about where you have wondered, what is God's answer to what I'm going through? Friends, maybe you just need another witness to the fact that Christ really is the answer to your deepest needs. Even as you have wrestled with doubting and pain, he has not kept silent. Christ has come for you. He has taken on flesh for you. He has preached the gospel for you. He has died for you. He has been raised for you. And he sent his spirit for you. And he says now that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear any evil for he is with you. And I, I just think about, you know, in our Sunday school, the high school Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about how God has condescended to us. And he's not talking about like the way I feel when Lauren talks to me in the kitchen about something. Uh, he, it's talking about how God has 
brought himself to our level as a father would hold his baby and look at him in the eyes and go, that level of condescension, God coming down to us, a father speaking to a baby in a way that he can understand, that is how God has condescended to us. What a grace, what a mercy. And now, because of what he has done, what we celebrate in the Christmas season, we can really trust him with everything because he's done all the hard work for us. It was the great London Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me upon the rock of ages. Dear Christian, you have no idea the kind of peace and comfort available to you by the Father, by the work of the Spirit, because of what Christ has done for you until you really cling to him in the midst of suffering. For he's not kept silent, and he will not keep silent, and you may not see his answer to your particular question in your lifetime, but man, you're gonna see it. You're gonna see it. And you will find, as I will find, as we all will find in glory, that he has been far better to us than we ever deserved. Amen? Let's pray. You have been so much better to us than we could ever dare hope. You have been gracious to your people in sending the Lord Jesus Christ as a baby that he would humble himself to take on flesh the same dirt that we walk upon that he would lie in the womb of a virgin, that he would be born to die for us. What a grace that you have given us in Christ. I thank you that you yourself are our answer to the question, will you keep silent? Help us to see it. In Christ's name, amen.